How are you this evening? Doing well? Well, I will add my welcome. Very good. You got it. I'm going to give it just a minute. I'm going to add my welcome to Jeff and everyone else. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. And our hope is that you find hope. Our hope is that you find hope in Christ. Uh, We know that Christmas Eve services are traditional, and we love that. But in the midst of this tradition, we want you to hear something and see something different. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. In my former life, I didn't preach. Um, I flew. And one of the things that a pilot will tell you is that one of the most dangerous approaches you can make isn't necessarily when it's foggy or cloudy. It's when it's like crystal clear night, no fog, nothing out there and you've been cleared to land, and you have what's called a visual approach. In other words, it's on you. There's the runway. Land on it. The reason it's dangerous is because when you have a runway out in the middle of, say, nowhere, and many of the runways are out away from the city, and there's a large black area around it, there's a sensory illusion that happens called a black hole sensory illusion. And what happens is, you are overstimulated by the darkness around the runway. And so your senses start making judgments based on the darkness instead of the runway. And what you will do is you will think you're much higher than you actually are, and you will start an accelerated descent, and it's caused crashes. Now, pilots are trained for this, but it happens often. You're overstimulated by the darkness and you trust it above the lights that are there to bring you in. We have this little poem, because there are two lights right on the side of the runway. It's a a set of red lights and a set of white lights. And regardless, as long as one of those sets of lights is red and the other is white, you're in good shape. So we have this little poem that we have to memorize. I still know it to this day. White over white, you're high as a kite, Red over red, you're dead. Red over white, you're all right. So you're trained to watch that visual approach slope indicator to bring in. Friends, the reason I say this is because 
we are overstimulated by darkness. We spend our energy and our time and our resources being obsessed with what's around us. And it harms us. Think about how much time and energy you spend being stimulated by darkness around you. I know that most of us, the average American, spends almost eight hours a day on a screen consuming media. And that media, many times, provides darkness. So when you're, when you're overstimulated by darkness, when you're filling your senses with that, here's what happens. You stop looking for the light. You feed yourself on what's dark. You begin even losing the ability to understand the light. And like a clear night approach on a full moon and no clouds, you set yourself up for an impact that you don't even expect. The reason we celebrate the birth of Christ is because like Jerusalem, like Palestine, like the world at large, they were not looking for him. They weren't expecting a king to come as a child. They were consuming darkness. Let's take a brief moment to understand Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and what it must have been like for Joseph and for Mary to have this child. Three things that I would ask us to look at. Just the time of Jesus' birth, and also the place of his birth, and, and the purpose of it. Because I know that we're not just asking that. Mary and Joseph were asking it as well. So the time of Jesus' birth. It's not a good time. This is not a good time for Joseph and Mary. She's very pregnant. Not only that, if we understand the backstory, she's not married. She's betrothed to Joseph. In fact, Joseph probably should have divorced her. He had every right to, and probably was expected to. However, God had spoken to both Mary and Joseph, telling them, hey, this child is going to be our Savior. You're to bear him up. And so they both chose to trust the word of the Lord and lose their name in the community and trust God. It's not a good time for them. Not only that, Caesar Augustus made a decree that you needed to be registered. It's a census. And probably the highest purpose for that was so that she would be taxed correctly. It happened. It was part of the empire duty. So to do that, they needed to trek to their, essentially their family home, which is a problem because they were living in Nazareth, which is up north of Jerusalem. And the family home of Joseph was in Bethlehem, which is about six miles south of Jerusalem. So that means it was a 90-mile trek in the winter. It's not a good time. She's pregnant and ready to deliver. This, I mean, if you made 10 miles a day, you're lucky. They would have had to go south, down around the hills of Jerusalem, west towards Bethlehem. As they crossed the Judean desert, it was winter, it was freezing at night, probably raining because it was the rainy season. 
It's not a good time. I would have asked the obvious question. God, you told us this is the Christ. And if that's true and we're willing to believe you, why are you putting him in danger? Why are you putting us in danger? And yet they trusted him. Secondly, this is not a good place. You notice in the text that when they get to Bethlehem, which is where Joseph's family was, he was in the tribe of Judah, meaning that Jesus, his adopted son, was as well, soon to be adopted. He probably would have stopped at his family home. And it says that there was no room there. Now, the way that our text reads, it says inn. Was it a hotel or a place or a guest room? It's really impossible to say. It was customary, again, to stay with family. That would have been the most obvious choice. And that word can either be inn, that you would pay to stay in, but most likely it was a, probably a home where it was his family. It was very crowded because everybody had to come into Jerusalem to do the census and be registered for taxation and other things. And if there was no room in the guest rooms or in the inn, the only place left was the bottom floor of the home, which is where they would bring the animals in at night, especially if it was very cold. And that's probably where they had to be. And the text says that after she gave birth, she had to place her child, Jesus, in a manger, which is really just a feeding trough, probably with convenience, to lay him there. And this place was also Bethlehem, the city of David, it says. So knowing that, Bethlehem draws a line between David and Jesus, which is really important. Because we know in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is to be the Christ, which simply means the king that would come, the anointed one to save. And here's how Bethlehem draws a line for us. Both David and Jesus were born in Bethlehem and ended up being kings in Jerusalem. Both of them came from obscurity and rose to fame. Both of them died in Jerusalem. And both of them were devoted to God. Here's the difference. David, although... God said himself that he was after my own heart, was overcome by darkness and sin. Jesus was not. David died, as did Jesus, but Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised by the power of God the Father just outside the city gates, overcoming darkness and the hold it has on this world. This is where Jesus was born. We are to draw that connection knowing that this is the son of David. This is the Christ. And lastly, this is the biggest question. What good purpose could God have? Imagine if you were Joseph and Mary, choosing to trust God, choosing to believe that this child, however unlikely it would be, was born of God and would be the long-promised Christ, the Messiah, the King? 
what good purpose can God possibly have by bringing him now? Because on the surface, it looks like Jesus is born now for political reasons. He's forced on this journey. Maybe it was practical reasons. It was just the right time. Seems random. But God did have a reason. God was moving, as he is now, all of history toward his final good end. And he used two people that were essentially nobodies and defamed in their community who were willing to trust God and take the journey. So what is God's good purpose in this? And here's where the hope comes. Let me read to you Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, because it explains the timing, the place, and the purpose. It says that when the fullness of time, this is God's good time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that's you and I, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's good purpose. See, wrapped up in Mary's arms is the fullness of God, the fullness of light. The fullness of God's promise. Here's God's purpose in this. Jesus was born into darkness simply that you might see and be able to walk in the light. That's it. He was brought in to a place and a time when he was not even expected, not received. He was born into darkness that you might walk in light. Well, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. In Christ, you have no reason to hide your sin. That's darkness. His life was righteous, and he hands that to you through faith. His death was a substitution that he pays to redeem us. And his resurrection kicked open the door to God the Father, that we might know him truly and be known by him. In Christ, you have security now, and you also have hope for your future. Friends, that's light. That's what you need and I need to be overstimulated by. This is what we need to remember this Christmas, who Jesus is. Because all of us have good reason to be consumed by darkness. It's all around us. But Jesus was born into this, that we might walk in his light. So put your eyes on him. This is the call. This is why we do this. This is why we have a worship service on Christmas Eve, that we might remember. This is not just about sin's mentality, but it is beautiful. This is not just about tradition, but it is good. 
This is about reminding you and I that Jesus is here. He was born essentially seen by no one. In obscurity. And yet, he is God the Son, sent for us. So put your eyes on him. He is the fullness of light. Jesus is the long-promised Christ. He's the king. He's the rightful king. He's savior. He's redeemer. And he is God with us. And if you will trust him, if you will receive him, and remember, the world didn't receive him. There's not even a spot for him to be born. It's not an accident. That's not random. It's very purposeful. If you will receive him, you will be received. As Galatians 4 says, you will be an heir. It's about belonging. Jesus has rejected that we might belong. He's born into darkness that we might have light. I'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 5, 14 says this. I love it. Maybe this is for you. It says, awake, O sleeper. Are you sleeping? Have you been consumed by darkness? Do you spend your time and your energy consuming that which is consuming you? Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Put your eyes on him. Don't be overstimulated by the darkness. It'll swallow you. And Christ will shine on you. If anyone wants life, and I don't just mean in the future. A lot of times we think eternal life means the future, and it does. Heaven's coming down to earth when Jesus returns. But it's also quality. Jesus wants you to understand fullness and abundant life now. He wants you to understand what it feels like to be fully known and fully loved. He wants you to know what it feels like to have his righteousness belong to you. He wants you to know what it feels like to not have to hide. He wants you to understand what it feels like not just to have the permission of freedom, but the power of it as well by his spirit. Friend, he offers that to you tonight and to me. The scripture calls that light. It's a simple metaphor. You know what it means. Light exposes, but it also warms, and it also brings life, and life is impossible without it. Jesus was born this night into darkness and obscurity for one reason, that you and I might walk in light and have abundant life forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Let us remember that this was not a random action. This was not two lost kids looking for a place to have a baby. This was your promise unfolding in the fullness of time, in the place of your choosing Bethlehem, that we might understand and discern that this is the true king. This is the son of David. This is the Christ. This is God, the son, who has come to save. Friend, that is light, Lord, and we receive it. 
And I pray for every one of us, Lord, because this is, this is where it gets hard. I pray that you would help us to feel your presence and trust you and walk in this light in the gospel of what you're offering to us through receiving your son. And we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.